Welcome to yet another edition of An Artifactual Journey. I'm your host, Philip J. Merrill, and today we're talking with Gail Tomlinson. And the topic will be our colored memories. Gail, could you tell me a little bit about your background? Well, I was a classroom teacher and worked for a number of years in museum work. I was born and raised in the Germantown section of Philadelphia and came out to Lancaster to put together the Thaddeus Stevens and Lydia Hamilton Smith Education Center. How exciting. I think one thing we forgot to ask is, uh, what color are you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am Caucasian, um, Scots-Irish by descent, uh, and in North America here, probably for close to 300 years. Pretty impressive. And speaking of impressive, right here, I'm holding in my hand, and I want you to hold an authentic Jim Crow colored sign, and, and reflect on what this means to you and your journey thus far in life. Well, it's very interesting to see this for me because my mother was born and raised in South Norfolk, Virginia, and every summer we would leave Philadelphia for a couple of weeks to stay with Mamaw and Granddaddy. And my older brother tells me that he remembers signs that said colored or white. And I, being a little bit younger, never actually saw one of these signs. Never. Never. I don't remember any place we went in Norfolk where where these were were up. I do remember, though, that we sort of got a lecture before we left Philadelphia that things weren't quite the same in Norfolk as they were in Philadelphia, that we would see people separated a little more. My brother got a much more lengthy lecture. I can imagine. <laughs> um, for a lot of reasons. Right. For okay. a lot of okay. reasons. <laughs> but But mostly that... He would have to pay attention to the signs so he would know which bathroom to use or which water fountain to use. And and growing up, as I did in elementary school in Philadelphia, in a very integrated, racially, gender, country environment, it always seemed odd to me when he would mention that he would get these lectures because... I never saw the why of it. And the why of it would be in what community in Philadelphia? Well, the the, time when you were coming up? When I was coming up, I lived in the Germantown section. It was one of the first communities in Philadelphia where in 1914, as the migration of workers from the south were crossing Mason-Dixon line, Philadelphia had a lot of manufacturing work. And so uh, a lot of African-Americans came to Philadelphia Germantown was one of the few communities initially that said, welcome, but with conditions. Germantown was integrated, but it was not necessarily house by house, but street by street. Street by street? So I lived on Harvey Street. The next street up on the right was McCallum Street. That was all black. Walking up on the left side to the other part of McCallum Street, that was all white. Fascinating. So integrating the block did not come, I would guess, until I was 8 or 10 when the first black family on our block, Mrs. Meadows and Mrs. Stevens, moved in. And when you were 8 or 10, roughly that time period would have been? About 1960, 62. During the uh, JFK administration. And so as a young, inquisitive girl, how did you cope with this? Were, were you overly curious? Were you introverted? Or Talk to me about what's going through eight-year-old Gail's mind dealing with color. I'm going to have to say 
not a whole lot of surprise. I had gone to school with black kids from kindergarten. Our school was the first... It was a brand new school. The name of the school? The Anna Lane Lingelbach School. I can't even say that. Let's try that again. What's that called? <laughs> Anna Lane Lingelbach School. And my guess is it was built around 1956 or so. Black kids, white kids, uh, Dutch kids, uh, Japanese kids, or at least Nisei, born in America, all went to school together. It, it fairs and festivals that we had usually took on a very international theme. So this is much more complex than what the average person would assume that was taking place back then. Mm-hmm. It's, it's much more global and it's mm-hmm. more than the traditional black-white issue of color. Yes, but I will say it may have been unique to the community because my husband's community, Port Richmond, did not have a single black family until about 1975. Okay, so I do see the difference in jurisdiction location. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go back to this school. Did you recall playing outside in recess with a little colored girl or a little colored mm-hmm. boy? Or did they want to touch your hair yeah. because you have red hair? Or did you want to touch the, their hair? Not. It's funny. I don't particularly <laughs> remember good hair, bad hair. What I do remember is we all came from big families. So there was, if our brothers knew each other, we tended to play together. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. So if the brothers, black or white, were on the same team, say, at the Y, we, as the little kids, would then play more together. And this would be, a, I take it, an integrated Y. This is an integrated Y, yes. Okay. Let, let me go in a different direction. So often you hear nasty terms that are constantly bantered about. Did your brother, who you said was mm-hmm. older, mm-hmm. or any of your neighbors use the infamous N-word? No. Do you it, use it, colored? We use colored. I, I remember colored and Negro. Okay. Now, when we went south, it was a slightly different situation. You would hear the, the N-word. And my Aunt Pearl who was born in 1904. In the South? In the South. Okay. In what was then called South Norfolk, mm-hmm. would use the N-word for <laughs> colored people she didn't like or who had been rude to her or perhaps someone who was offering fruit or vegetables at an unreasonable price. So so she would use the, the N-word as in nigger, negro, or well, negris? Can she you break use, it down for right, me, please? She would use nigger mm-hmm. for someone who she didn't like. And by the way, that included in her later life the Filipino husbands of my cousins. She did not like, I assume, people of color, except for the fact that when she was working with with someone or went to church with someone who was, the term I would use would be black, she would refer to them as a nigra. Nigra. So the nigra was he's a, a good nigra or he's a gentle nigra or she's a good hearted nigra. So very different from my northern neighbor, that, that first black family that moved on our block, who Mrs. Meadows was the first EEO officer, I believe, for some government agency downtown in Philadelphia. And she told me that she always preferred the term Negro. And 
at the time of the discussion, I don't remember all the specifics, but I sense that for her, the change from colored to Negro was a recognition, was a acknowledgement that she considered significant. And as you listen to this conversation, it's a whole lot to digest, isn't it? It With is. The, the nuances or the dynamics of what you're being called, when, by whom, and how. And it's absolutely astounding that anybody could build relationships or find common ground at times because what are the words I'm allowed to use? How am I, when will I offend you? Or when might I be offended by what you say? When I was a classroom teacher, I had students who would use nigger for any black that they didn't know personally. And since you come through this kind of previous journey with your with Aunt Pearl and your neighbors, how in the world did you deal with, as an authority figure, your students using this word? I first asked them why. I said, why is it wrong to call Roman a nigger? And it's okay to call this person just because you don't know them? And they looked at me and said, well, but I don't know if they're a good person. Said, so is that dependent on their color? And... I often had these conversations with kids in my class. Sometimes it's just about having the conversation. Their parents would not have this conversation with them. I was fortunate enough to have parents who would have this conversation with me and, and people around me who made it very clear that you don't judge anybody till you walk in their shoes a bit. Amen to that. And and with that in mind, let's go back to, I can't leave on Pearl. (laughs) I'm stuck on, on Pearl. At any time, as she got older and you got older, did you have any tete-to-tete, head to, uh, you know, face-to-face it's adult weird. conversations about her use of this word? Actually, yes. In, in the last couple of years of her life, my mother had already died, her niece. Oh, by, by the way, what word did your mother use? My mother never used anything but colored. Never. Never. So this segment called Our Colored Memories is so appropriate because... Absolutely. And her father, and, and, and maybe it's a difference of where they came from in Virginia, my mother's father was from the western part of Virginia, Appalachia. I'm not sure he had ever met a black person before he went to South Norfolk, but he and she only ever referred to African Americans as colored people. But Aunt Pearl... In, in her later years, I would go down and spend some time with her. She was the last of my mother's family. And I was very fond of her. And she made fudge to die for. Five cups of sugar and chocolate. Oh, that sounds, I'm, I'm a, oh. I love fudge. Yeah, exactly. I may not like what Aunt Pearl might have called me, but <laughs> I, I, might, I definitely might want some of her fudge, okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I, I told her one day that she was saying something actually about my cousin's husband again the filipino the filipino and she was using the term nigger and i said you know aunt pearl i really don't like that i don't think it's it's a fair term and she said i know but i'm old and what do you say to your great aunt when she tells you she's not going to have the conversation and And how old was she at the time she was 88 and, and and you know better than i do that one of the fascinating characteristics of, of an elder is that they've lived long enough to say and do what they want, and often they will remind you of that. Absolutely. And this was a prime example where, at 88, 
She's seen it, done it all, and is not going to change, and that's the end of that story. With this exception, <laughs> she never used the term in front of me again. Really? No. So I needed to be told that she had the right, by virtue of age, to do as she wished. But I was very touched that she made a point of meeting my wishes on this. After all, I had been badly brought up in north of the Mason-Dixon line. What could she expect of me? <laughs> Someone like you, right? Exactly, right, right. exactly. Here's the, the $64,000 question. Do you recall if she ever had a nigra in her house or on her property? Delivery men and women, certainly. And I believe in the Bible study group, there was a black woman. What um, denomination? Methodist. Methodist, okay. Methodist. And I'm not sure the woman, the woman may have been an employee of the church and, and not actually part of, of the Bible study, but she was always referred to as a good Christian woman. And at least on one occasion when I was a child, she was there. Mm-hmm. But socially, the answer is no. But there was not much socializing beyond the family group itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, I just think that this conversation is so needed for other people to hear, especially coming from a Caucasian that has experienced the South, has experienced living for over 60 plus years and Mm -hmm. an educator and a museum person. These are the type of conversations that we need to improve the racial dialogue in America in 2017 as we move into 2018. I would agree. I realize that for whatever reason, I had a, a childhood that was that offered me many opportunities to experience people and and activities that many people have not had and and what really is usually the barrier we don't understand we haven't met we haven't spoken to we don't sit down and have a conversation we like we're having have, right now exactly exactly this is just very basic in 2017 in present day how does it affect you when you hear the overusage of the word by everyone? And maybe you don't think it's an overusage, but from my perspective as a black person, mm-hmm. I'm tired of hearing the word, whether it be in an, an athletic event, a musician, a teenager that wants to say, well, there's a difference between nigger and nigger, or white folk that feel as though it's okay because that they Jeez, have so. a temporary... Um, nigger status and, and they're homie or they're in the club so it's okay that they can go and call someone else you know, and say hey what up my nigga so you know yeah. where where does that sit with you as an educator and as a person that grew up and had to deal with family and societal issues with the word color and nigger and negro and nigra and so forth I believe that we should have the conversation that the word nigger is hurtful for a lot of different reasons And that conversation needs to be had in the black community and in the white community, both separately and together. Because there are words that so-called feminists use that I personally, and maybe it's my age, I don't know, I find offensive. And the fact that you can say them doesn't mean you should say them. (laughs) We used to have a degree of social restraint And it's not just because it's a trigger word or it will upset someone, but 
Our language is full of so many wonderful words. Why do we get stuck on a couple of them? Let's talk it out. Let's let's get it out there and move on. Because as human beings, there is so much more we have in common than different. And we need to keep looking for that in order to make things happen. And that is why I was elated when you agreed to be a participant in Artifactual Journey episode dealing with our colored memories. And I want to wrap this up by sharing something that I just recently learned from someone who is actively engaged in street life. And she said that she was recently told that the word nigger is really tied into an attitude. Try that on for size. Wow. Try that on for size. Okay? Okay. So does that mean that maybe it's an old fogey issue that we need to get over? Or does it mean that we're using the word to give it legitimacy where maybe it shouldn't have any? Well, all those are good questions, and they will be brought up in future episodes of Artifactual Journey and Our Color okay. Memory with, both peop- with people both black and white. So with that said, I would like to thank you. I am thank considering you, so you a new friend. It doesn't matter that your hair is red <laughs> and that your Aunt Pearl used to call people uh, those words. I'm just delighted to be able to have a truthful, intelligent conversation without getting defensive or offensive with you about a buzz phrase that is very, very trigger-worthy in 2017. Thank you for letting me have that conversation. That's a wrap.